Disciple Now uh, little mini conference that uh, we got to be a part of. So um, we had kind of a long and exciting weekend. I've never mixed coffee and Red Bull before, but uh, I'll probably get about halfway through the sermon and just fade, I suppose. That'll be it. Um, I'm going to tell you a little secret today, and (laughs) well, not really that much of a secret. So Haley does not like that song, We Come Alive in the River, at all. She says the reason why she doesn't like it is because it gets stuck in her head, you know, that spring up a well. So whenever I'm in the car with my kids, um, I tell them, hey, when you go in today, just start singing Spring Up a Well at home uh, just to annoy your mother. So Brittany, that's good about Just go up behind her tomorrow at work and just be like, Spring Up a Well, and she will probably punch you in the face. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, that song and then Love Has a Name, you know that song as well? She really hates those two songs. She says, because I get them in my head and I can't get them out. And then by the evening, I'll usually bring it up again. And I'll just say, spring up a well. And, uh, you know, it starts all over again. So I'm sure you have that. We're going to talk a little bit about worship here in just a few minutes uh, today. But we're talking about this series. Today's the last week where I'm talking about on the mountain with God. And one thing that we have asked, one question that we have asked as we've gone through this series is what happens on mountains? Hopefully by now you know that any time Scripture says they go up onto a mountain, we know one thing for sure, and what is that? God is about to do something. God is about to shape the people that are going up on the mountain. God is about to reveal himself in some way. God is about to pour something out into the lives of those people that are on the mountain. And so Scripture gives us that clue and that cue that every time we see high places or mountains, we know that God is about to do something. Now today we're going to look at three different stories that involve obviously mountains or at least conversations about mountains. The first one you might remember from Sunday school, it's the story of Elijah and Mount Carmel. This is what we find in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's an Old Testament story. And basically the background of the story is this, Elijah is a prophet and God has called him to tell the people what they should do. But they also live in a place that there are, there's this other religion, this competing religion that is there as well. And it's called, they worship a god called, called Baal or Baal, depending on how you want to pronounce that. And they have 450 prophets, people that are employed by this religious organization, and they go out into all the villages and towns and they talk about what, what their gods want the people to do. And here's Elijah by himself on this side trying to tell the people what God has told him to tell them that they should do. And so Elijah uh, kind of enters the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I want to sort of just set it up for us for a second here. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 16, it says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and those that eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. 
Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if the Baal is God, follow him. The Bible says, And the people said nothing. Now, Elijah is what we call a prophet. Now, if you ask most people today and say, What does a prophet do? About 80% of people will answer that question the same, but it's actually kind of incorrect. Most people will say prophets are people who tell the future. They're kind of, they're not, they're fortune tellers in in a way. Not not really, but they kind of are. They they tell the future, and that's actually not true. While there are many prophecies in Scripture about the coming of Christ and some of these other things that God will eventually do his work in the world, most prophets speak in the present moment. Elijah is with the people saying, if you don't change the way that you live, you're going to find yourself in exile. And while I understand that has some future tense to it, its context is always in the present. Another word for prophet is preacher or truth teller. Somebody who tells the truth. This is why when we read the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians 14 and other places, where Paul writes and says, listen, I would rather speak five words of truth than 10,000 words in a different language. Telling the truth is what the prophet ultimately does. And telling the truth never, almost never, makes the prophet popular. Don't you find that to be true when somebody tells you the truth in your life? You say, hey, I want you to tell me the truth. What we mean is sugarcoat it as much as possible and just share like a tiny little little thing, right? A lot of times when we ask for the truth, we don't truly want the truth. Elijah is the prophet. Next week we're starting a new sermon series called Landmines. And the tagline is sermons that get pastors fired. Um, and we're being serious about this actually. Our staff got together and said they're really tired of me and how can they get rid of me in the quickest possible way. So we came up with the sermon series and uh, we'll see how it goes. But we really are going to talk about some things that churches don't talk about. There are some topics that the church has been very silent on that we never talk about. And I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, some of these topics, especially next week, is going to be very R-rated. And we're not doing it to be edgy. We're not doing it to be cool. We're doing it because we believe that the church should be a place where the truth is a safe thing to share. Uh, Listen, I know you want to come to church and you want to get patted on the back and be told how good you are and that you're great and and God loves you and he does and all those things. But But there are times where we need to say, listen, there are certain things in our lives that need to be different because we are governed by a truth that needs to be a part of us. And church needs to be a place that we are able to tell the truth. And that's what a lot of this series is going to be about. We're going to talk about some things that are uncomfortable, some stuff that we don't want to talk about. But, but we believe that this should be a place where we share the truth. And so we're going to try to do that as best we can. But, be, but back to Elijah and Mount Carmel. 450 prophets on one side and God plus Elijah on the other. Elijah does something really cool in the story. And if you remember the story it's kind of a showdown. It's, it's if you could imagine the movie Tombstone set in the Old Testament. This is that 
that, you know, that, that Golden Corral movement or the OK Corral, not Golden Corral, that's, that's, a, different, that's a different kind of thing. OK Corral. <laughs> wow. I really need to learn. I need to watch that movie again. Uh, but they're at, you know, this big showdown that's coming. Now, what happens in this story that you read in your Bible, it doesn't happen exactly the way that it says, and it really is such a cool story. What Elijah says to the prophet, he says, I'll tell you what, we're, we're going to see whose God is real. I want you to build an altar and put a sacrifice on the altar and build it however you want, how big or how small you want. The only thing you're not allowed to do is light the altar. That's the only thing you're not allowed to do. And then what you guys can do is you can gather around the altar and you can pray or do whatever you think you need to do. And if your God hears you, then you know he's going to come and, and take the sacrifice. And when you're done, then I'm going to build an altar over here and I'm going to do the same thing. And so they, they think this is a pretty good deal. They build the altar, they put the sacrifice on it, and then they start calling out to their God. And it gets louder and louder. And they start, they start dancing around the altar, waving their arms and falling down and doing all kinds of things. And they, they keep getting louder and louder, but nothing's happening. Because Elijah knows they are praying to nothing. They start cutting themselves after lunch. Maybe, maybe we need to lead the charge or something like this. They start doing bizarre things. And Elijah, like any good prophet, when he knows he's right, he starts taunting them. And it actually is quite amusing. He says, maybe you're not being loud. Maybe your God is, is, is too far away. Maybe you need to shout louder. He starts antagonizing the situation. He says, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe, maybe he took a trip and he's not home and that's why he doesn't hear you. And this is the part that I love the most, but it's not in your Bible. He actually says, there's a part that says, maybe your God is indisposed right now. What he means is something like, maybe your God had some bad Indian food and he's in the bathroom. That's what's in there. Now, it's really nicely said in your Bible. Maybe he's just, you know, not present. He literally is Haunting them. And this goes on the entire day, and nothing happens. Elijah builds his altar. He puts his sacrifice on the altar. He says, you know, that's not enough. Let's bring twi- 12 giant barrels full of water and just douse this altar. Let's just really stack the odds against our God. And the Bible says this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. It says, Then the fire from the Lord fell and burned up not only the sacrifice and the wood, but the stones and the soil. And it also licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell down in worship and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They worship because they see the power of God in this moment. The next few verses tell us that they take all the false prophets and lead them down the mountain and they slaughter all of them so that idolatry is no longer a part of the identity of Israel. But when Israel sees the mighty work that God God does, they worship. He is the Lord. He is God. What they do is exactly 
what we do when we gather together to worship together. When we come to this place, we the reason why we sing, I, I grew up in a tradition, and maybe you did too, where every Sunday looked the same. Is it, was that the same for you guys? We sang three songs, then there was a scripture reading, then we sang another song, and then we had the Lord's Supper, and then we sang another song, and then it was the sermon, and then we had the invitation song or the, the song of response where people could you know walk to the front, and then somebody made announcements, and then we had the closing song. Is that about right? And worship was a way to mark where we were in the service. So we knew almost at any moment where we were. Worship was not always a time of saying, this is a moment where we borrow the words of others and we sing communally to God because maybe we don't have the words. Not all of us are great with words, and so we borrow other people's words and we sing things in community as a form of encouragement and preparation and formation and shaping of each other. And aren't you just so glad that there is a difference between singing and worship? Because I've heard some of you sing. Not angelic. But aren't you glad that worship is something that doesn't require talent? See, being worshipful is about a heart posture. It's about what we bring to God. It's about us saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into into this place of worship and allow God to shape me and form me. I'm not a person who uh, has always listened to a lot of worship music, but when I'm in my car, I try to listen to it a little bit. When I, when I work out at the gym, I try to play worship music, and I feel that it affects my life positively. It kind of helps my disposition. It's, it's me listening and learning from someone else, but it helps me to find a place of worship in my own heart. Second story is found in Luke chapter 9. It's what we call the story of the transfiguration, which uh, you, you get what that word means. It means the change of form or the change of figure. That something looks different than it did a moment before. This is a moment, this is a place, this, this event is where Jesus physically changes and his mission about what he is about to do is really set in place. Now, the reality of this is that Jesus goes to a mountain. Let's look at the story in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28, it says, about eight days after Jesus said this, what he said was he was predicting his death, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up onto a mountain to pray. So our ears should already be listening for, they're going up on a mountain, so what? God is about to do something. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face, this is Jesus, changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. I imagine this is the way Jesus looked after the resurrection. That's just in my mind, I think this is probably what, it's like a preview of what was about to happen. It says, two men, Moses and Elijah, there he is again, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you know that Moses is the one who leads the Israelites out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and that's where God gives them the law. So Moses always represents the law. Elijah represents 
the prophets, those who tell the truth about God and about what God is going to do. So here he is with the law and the prophets, and he even sang those words in one of the songs uh, that we had here just a moment ago. It says, they spoke about his departure, which is a nice way of saying his death, which he was about, which he was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. The story here is that Jesus is about to ascend his own mountain. He is about to go to the high place in Jerusalem and fulfill the mission that God has placed on his life. He is about to do that. And right before he is about to do that, he takes three of his followers and they go up onto a mountain and they spend time together on the mountain. And God gives a preview, if you will, of what's about to happen. And Moses and Elijah, they talk to Jesus. They encourage Jesus. They say, your journey is about to go up. On the ma- We've already done that. We've already lived and gone. We've already done our journey, but you're about to do yours. Don't lose sight of it. Stay on mission. Stay on task. They encourage him. Who would be better to be a cheerleader than Moses and Elijah? They're great cheerleaders for Jesus. This is the moment that Jesus' ministry is about to turn from being a life of of sharing and teaching to now a life of mission and going. The third story is a story of Jesus and the woman at the well, also the Samaritan woman as we might call her. We find this in John chapter 4. It's a story about Jesus and his disciples traveling traveling through Samaria, and Jesus stops at a place called Jacob's Well, and he sits down, and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. You remember this story. And Jesus kind of talks to her about her life. These are some things that are going on with you. These are some things that, you know, this is your marital status. No, you you haven't been married once. You've been married more than once. And he tells her a bunch of these stories about who he is. And this woman then at the end of this encounter, she starts to ask Jesus questions about mountains and worship. She says, what is the mountain of worship, Jesus? That's what I really want to know. She was an outcast, somebody who was not favored by anybody in her community. And she had a gap between her and God because she had made many mistakes in her life. That's why she was at the well at noon. And then she asks Jesus about worship. And Jesus responds to her in John chapter 4. And he gives her a very eloquent answer, an answer that we should pay attention to. But in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, she says to Jesus, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet because you just told me the truth about my life. Our ancestors, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. You know that one right, right over there. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. If you drop down to verse 24, he says, because God is spirit and his worshippers, must worship in the spirit and in truth. 
What he is telling this woman is he's saying, if we want to experience God, if we want to have a relationship with God, that what we do is the way that we climb the mountain to God is through the act of worship. That when we are willing to put ourselves out there in a moment of surrender and sing sing words, and worship's not just singing, I want to be clear. Worship has more to do with surrendering what's in here first. And when we do that, it will shape and form everything else that happens. You know, one thing that I think is very true of most of us is that you know, some of you love worship. That's your thing. And some of you, you know, love, love different parts of the service. And that's okay. Have you ever gone home after a Sunday, and we've all done this. You ever gone home and you do kind of a critique of the church service in the car? So you ask your kids, hey, what did you learn today? Oh, that's a lovely craft. I'll throw that out when I get home, or whatever you say. And then you talk about, well, you know, that it was too loud. It was too, you know, why, why do they keep the, why do they keep the light, why, why do they keep it dark in there? Why didn't they lighten it up? You know, why did we sing so many songs in the beginning? Why did we sing so many songs in the end? You know, it was cold in there today. It was hot in there today. You know, there were a lot of people. We just critique everything to death. Have you ever said this one? Well, worship wasn't very good today. I have found in myself that when I say worship wasn't very good today, it has nothing to do with the people on stage and everything to do with me. When worship's bad, it's usually because I had a bad heart or I was carrying something very heavy and I couldn't get out of my own way long enough to allow myself to surrender and be worshipful towards God. One of the things we have to do is we must learn to worship. Worship's not something that we just naturally do. It's something that we have to make a choice to do. When we spend a moment in worship, it will change the way that we live our lives. The Bible tells us that without worship, we will always be thirsty. We will always be hungry and thirsty for something more. This is why when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that he says is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness doesn't mean religion. Righteousness in this context means worship, relationship with God. Those that seek more relationship with God, that have that void in their life and admit that void and try to step towards it, Jesus says God will be faithful and he will fill that void. If we bring our hunger and our thirst and the void of our life, and we are willing to surrender it and say, God, here it is. You can have it. He says he will fill it. And when we go onto the mountain in worship, we will be changed in our form and in our mission. You know, I see sometimes people come in here, and they got long faces. Maybe it's been a long week. You're tired. Everybody's tired on Sunday mornings. It's just the way it is. Sometimes I watch when people people leave, their faces look different. They feel encouraged or blessed. Don't you feel better when you start your week at church? I know sometimes we all miss. We all play hooky. We know who you are. We have a list going. Okay? But don't you always feel better when you take the time to do it? Just to surrender your heart for a, for a minute. You see, this moment is about us coming to the mountain of God together and meeting him there and allowing him 
to shape and form us. And in a few minutes, we're going to sing two more songs, and they're good songs. And maybe what we need to do, sometimes I find I worship, and I look up, and I, I can't remember what songs we've been singing because I wasn't really paying attention to the words. You ever do that? Or you read the words for the first time, and you go, wow, I never, I never realized that it said that. And the reality is this. You get to borrow someone else's words. And maybe this morning, in just a few moments when we, when we worship, maybe this is a great moment to just surrender. We always talk about this. Just creating space in your life for God. And allowing God to do something mighty and powerful. You know, worship songs should be stuck in our head. They should be words that help us navigate and move through our day. And hopefully this morning, it's just a moment for us to start our week right and surrender our life to God and saying, God, I need more of you. And I know that means I'm going to have to go into some of these, these back rooms and pull out the boxes that I like. But I want more of you in my life. I want to I say things like, you are the Lord. You are God. I want that to dominate how I live every single day. I want that to dominate my marriage, my family, and other things. I want, it, I want it to, to dominate the way that I go to work and the attitude that I have and that I share with people around me. And living worshipfully is not just about singing a few songs at church. These are the anthems that will shape our lives and the lives that we will live if we start with worship will be transformed transformed. They'll be different than lives that are just full of songs. So let me pray for us this morning, and then we're going to stand together, we're going to sing a couple more songs, and maybe just borrow these words today for your life. Father, thank you for this moment today. Thank you that you've brought us to this place, that you've shared your story with us, that you've helped us to just Maybe have a moment to just reflect on our own lives and where we are and what's happening to us and in us. God, we all have baggage. <laughs> we all have things that we wish we didn't have. But Father, we just pray that today that we would be reminded that you are a God who is faithful, that you have done everything to create space for us in your life. Father, today I just pray that whatever we've brought into this room, God, maybe we can lay some of it down and give you just a little bit more space. We pray that it would shape our week, shape our home. God, may we, when we think about worship, may we not just think about it, may we stop and be present in that moment. May we give ourselves over to you to do your work. God, we pray that you would give us more of your spirit and that we would live more fully in